Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Rangers, a New York Rangers podcast presented by Blue York on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, and we got a great show for you today with the legendary Jerry Rollins, who is an author of the book Enforcer to Entrepreneur. I do want to apologize that I don't have my microphone with me, so bear with me with the audio. I am in Santa Monica, California right now, but um, I'm going to talk to Alexis Downey. I'm going to talk to Jerry, going to talk about Jacob Truba, Nils, and the Rangers game against Colorado Avalanche last night. So we got that, and we got a lot more. Let's get into it. So I posted the clip of the Jacob Truba hit on Nathan McKinnon on my Twitter last night, and I was getting a lot of mixed comments, you know, in the comment section and the replies on the tweet. A lot of people thinking it was dirty that Nathan McKinnon had his head down and Truba didn't have to do that. A lot of people thinking it's a textbook clean hit. For me personally, um, that's as, that's as textbook as it gets. Um, you're taught at a very young age to always keep your head up when you have the puck. But I will say, the night before in Chicago, when Truba hit Kyra. Um, you know, the puck was in Kyra's feet and Truba didn't really have to go through him. But then again, I don't think it was a dirty hit. You know, like I said, you're taught right away at a young age to always keep your head up when you have the puck. Um, you know, obviously these things kind of happen. You don't want to see anyone get hurt, but that's the way Truba plays. And as a forward, you have to know and be aware when a guy like Truba's out there. And Jacob Truba is just becoming one of those guys that, you know, plays a physical game. And if he, if he makes a big clean hit, he's going to have to fight for it, which must be very frustrating for him. Um, you know, I did speak to an old coach of mine who said, you know, in the young game, you're taught not to hit somebody when their head's down. So I don't know, maybe the game is changing, maybe, you know, 10, 15 years from now, who knows. But to me, those were both pretty clean hits. Were they avoidable? Sure. But with the way Truba plays, you have to expect him to make that kind of hit because you're taught to hit somebody to separate them from the puck. That's exactly what Truba was doing. He could have easily used his stick to lunge and try to get it with his stick, but if he missed, then McKinnon gets right by him. Um, And that's one of the most dangerous scorers in the league, so you want to make sure that you're separating the body from the puck. So I think both those hits were clean. You know, back again to Kyra. Hopefully he's doing okay. Alexis and I touched on it a little bit when she comes on here. Something that you hate to see, but in my opinion, Jacob Truba is just a guy that maybe opposing teams are going to have to be aware when he's on the ice because... I don't think he's going to stop playing that way. That's just how he plays and, and who he is. I think that's some of the physicality that the Rangers have lacked a little bit in, in the years past. So um, it's definitely great to see as a Ranger fan. As far as last night's performance, you know, the Rangers had previously won seven games in a row. And, you know, they're due for a fluky, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a fluke, but letting up seven goals on home ice is not exactly what the Rangers have been known for this year. Uh, obviously, Adam Huska 
AHL goalie, UConn goalie getting his first NHL start. And he did look great in the first period. And then, you know, this Colorado Avalanche team is just an offensive juggernaut. And they were able to step on the gas and, you know, put in five in that second period. And that kind of put the Rangers away a little bit. But I thought Huska played great, 32 saves and 39 shots. Um, you know, obviously the scoreboard doesn't say so, but I was honestly very impressed with him. The Nathan McKinnon goal was a little weak, but all in all, I think it was a decent NHL debut. I mean, the Rangers got totally dominated by a very physical, very fast, very strong Colorado Avalanche team that are just on another level. I mean, you know, you talk about the Rangers being good and being one of the best teams in the league this year, standings-wise, but when you watch a game like that, you can just tell that this Colorado Av- Avalanche team is just, you know, steps above where the Rangers are. And you could tell why they are, you know, the Stanley Cup final favorite or Stanley Cup champion favorite. And hopefully that's where the Rangers get to in the next year or two. But you can kind of, I mean, the Rangers were able to play with them, but you can tell the difference in, in just the speed and pace of play that the Avalanche have. Um, they are just so fun to watch. And I thought it was a really fun game until obviously the score got a little bit away from the Rangers. Also very happy for Nils Lundqvist getting his first NHL goal. What a snipe. I mean, that was a, an absolute rip over the glove of Darcy Kemper. I'm very happy to see a young guy get his first goal, and hopefully that gives him a little bit more confidence back on the blue line. And Nils obviously has been doing a good job on the second power play unit, so hopefully he uses that shot a little bit more in games going forward. Um, you know, scoring a goal definitely always gives you a little bit more confidence. Just a young kid with a lot of potential, and getting that first one out of the way definitely helps. That's about all I've got for my personal intro. I do want to send it over to my dear friend, Alexis Downey. But before I do, I want to give a quick word from a sponsor, Blue York. Like I talk about every episode, for those who don't know Blue York, they are a fan-made brand that makes custom designs, content, and apparel for the blue shirts. I've been wearing their stuff for a long time. I'm also a part of their Discord channel. You can join the channel. Um, just go to I Am Blue York on Twitter or on Instagram to find that link to join the Discord. Or go to IamBlueYork.com and use code Johnny to get 15% off of everything on their website. That's J-O-N-N-Y, Johnny, to get 15% off of everything on their website. I'm now going to send it over to Alexis Downey. As always, I'm very happy to welcome on my friend from Stadium. Coming off of a fun night at the United Center, watching the Blackhawks and the Rangers last night, Tuesday night, but we're recording on Wednesday. So without further ado, Alexis Downey, what's up? Thanks, Johnny. You know, last night was a lot of fun. Uh, It was a last minute decision for me to go to the game, and I'm really glad that I did, Uh, even though I think the outcome was, I don't think it really spoke to what the game was necessarily until the end, Um, but it's been a good week so far for me. How are you doing? I'm good. And I, I thought it was really funny that a couple of people replied to your tweet, uh, you know, recording at the game saying Panarin's going to get his 500 points and Flurry won't get shit. <laughs> so it was kind of funny how it turned out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that point he had, I was like, I had a feeling after that happened. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen tonight. Uh-huh. Flurry's Flurry is not going to get the win for this. And I was kind of bummed out because I was like, it would be so cool to see this happen on home ice for him. Mm. But I mean, is, is Chicago really home for him? No. So. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it's kind of cool. They actually play the Canadians tomorrow night or tonight as you're listening Thursday night. Isn't that where he's from? It'd be cool to get that where he's from, right? I think you're right. Actually. I think he is from there. So that that's a good point. I think that that would, he's probably going to have like maybe more family in the house. I maybe, but uh, you know, going back a little bit to the game, just watching on TV, this is like a little, obviously um, more serious, but just watching the game, you couldn't really get a sense of what the building was like after Kara went down on that Truba hit. Can you kind of describe 
what the energy was like in the building. It must have been just dead silent because that was a really scary moment. Yeah, it was. I watched it happen. And sometimes like the play happened and then, you know, it kept going. But I watched Kara on the ice. And once he went down, his hands like slowly went to the ice. And that's how I knew I was like, he's not good. Like I have chills just talking about it because I really I hate when anything like this happens, as do most people. But um, it it got really quiet. They blew the whistle. All of the players immediately you know, surrounded him. Flurry came over. He was on his knee, like Kane, like everyone. And you could tell like he wasn't moving. It was really an eerie feeling in the building. And they immediately got the stretcher on the ice um, and took him a few minutes to get him up and off the ice as well. And I was just in my head. I'm like, what, like, what's going, it's so hard to tell from how high up I was, like, what's going on? What are they saying? Like, is he okay? And like, there was a couple of times where the fans were like clapping and everything. I'm like, did he raise a hand? Like, I can't even quite see it, but, um, it, it was a very scary moment. And I mean, it sounds like he's okay. He got released from the hospital. The Blackhawks announced this morning. So you have to think that if he was released, then whatever it was, isn't too serious, thankfully. So um, but it was certainly a really big moment in the building. And I feel like the rest of the game was very quiet after that. Yeah. I mean, I can get a sense a little bit on TV, just also watching Truba's reaction to the hit. Um, you know, Truba's not necessarily a dirty player and he does play a, a pretty physical heavy game, but I don't think he was purposely trying to, you know, kill the guy, but he caught a guy with his head down, wanted to make an impactful hit and he did. And um, you know, I'm not here to like defend Truba, but I didn't think anything of the hit. But once I saw Kara go down and stay down, I was like, you know, okay, maybe that could have been avoidable. Um, you know, obviously you ha- you probably had the best seat in the house to watch the play develop itself. You know, I, I love sitting up top when I go to games. Yeah, it, it certainly is a different view. Um, I, I like watching hockey from afar because you do get to see everything on the ice and the bench and everything in general. Um, but it just happened so fast. And I, I saw, you know, true, I saw the replay and Truba, what, you know, his shoulder and everything going into him. And it's almost like in that moment, there wasn't much that you could really do. Maybe put your arm down when you hit him, but, um, it, it happened really fast and it was right. It was kind of my, um, the benches a little bit, it was a little bit off to the side. Um, but it, it was, it happened very fast. And I, I do want to transition to more of a, you know, positive topic, but we're happy that Kara's okay. Um, did you happen to see that the Rangers were the first ever NHL franchise to be worth $2 billion? I did. Thanks to you. Um, that <laughs> is unbelievable to think about how much, like how much money that is. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, they're the Rangers, like the New York Rangers, when you think of hockey, they're one of the teams you think of. So that's just crazy. And I, I saw um, in the SNY article that that's a 21% jump from last year's valuation. Mm-hmm. 21% is a lot. <laughs> so I, I, it's great for the league. Honestly, when you look at it from a whole perspective, they must be making more money. Teams are being, they're worth more. Because I remember when the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to be sold, initially the talks were, um, I believe it was like 750 million a couple of years ago. That's what they were valued at. And the league said, no, you can't sell them for that much. We want more than that. And so now 
they were sold for what 900 million it was mm -hmm. so you can see that the value of all the teams in general it really is going up which is a great thing for the league so i want to ask you i don't know if you saw the top five teams and what they're worth did you see the top five no, but I can pull it up right now. No, no, I don't want you to. I don't want you to. So okay. you know, obviously we have the original six and five out of the six original six teams make up the top five of, you know, the highest valued franchises. What do you think okay. or which team do you think was left out? Of those original six. So it's Rangers, Red Wings, Leafs, Canadians, Blackhawks, Bruins, which team, well, obviously the Rangers are in there, but which team do you think is not in the top five? I also just pulled this up like a minute ago. It's not like I knew I'm this thinking <laughs> I'm thinking maybe 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 the Bruins. Okay, that's if a I good guess. To... It's a good guess because Okay. I'll read it off in order. So the Rangers are worth 2 billion, then the Maple okay. Leafs are worth 1.8, Montreal Canadiens 1.6, Chicago Blackhawks 1.4, and then Boston Bruins 1.3. The Red Wings are the team that was left out, which was interesting because I feel like Really? You no, know, aside from the Canadians, the Red Wings have probably had the most success. You would think, yeah. And I mean, they're hockey town. Like yeah. that's, you would think that they would be up there. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like an, the fact that economically Detroit isn't, it's not a mm -hmm. city like a Boston and New York, yeah. like it's a little different. Um, but that's really interesting. I would think that Detroit would have been on there and not Boston. Yeah. Same. I thought that was a really good guess because Boston was the team that is the fifth. So I, you know, you definitely uh, hit the nail on the head there, but <laughs> um, I, know, I thought it was really cool that the original six teams though are, are worth the most. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, it makes the most sense when you look at how the NHL has evolved over the years as well. So, um, well, another big thing that happened last night, we saw an unbelievable goal and we know that it wasn't it we, in the moment. It didn't even necessarily look like it. It was just a weird situation. What happened? Um, for, for Trevor Zegras. And I feel like his reaction and social media's reaction was just everything. And it was so great to see people that aren't in hockey talking about it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And like you said, his reaction is literally priceless. And his post-game interview with Bucci Gross was amazing. Like, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with this kid. He's actually from <laughs> Bedford, New York. I've never met him, but um, I actually do know Sonny pretty well. So it's cool that Sonny could be on that on that highlight reel forever. Um, you know, Sonny is a, a Mass Peak Long Island guy, so I used to skate with him a little bit. But, man, like everything we're seeing from Zegris night in, night out, like this kid is just, you know, a mix of Patrick Kane. I, I don't want to say McDavid because he doesn't have that speed or anything, but he just seems to be a mix of all the top skill guys that are in this league right now. He's got a great shot like Matthews. Um, you know, he's kind of just like that all-in-one. And, you know, it, it does kind of suck that he's in Anaheim and you can't really watch him every night because they play at like 1030 at night on the East Coast. But <laughs> Um, you know, this kid's obviously going to have a, a really bright future in the game of hockey. And hopefully, you know, he can leave Anaheim at some point. So we, you know, us East Coasters can see a little bit more of him. But, you know, he's, he, every yeah. time he's out there, something cool happens. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see that. And then, you know, Anaheim has been one of those teams that has been surprising this year. So him being a part of that, I almost feels like adds to his narrative right now. Um, and of course the goal happens against the Sabres. It's like, uh -huh. what other team would that happen against? <laughs> Maybe like the Red Wings or something like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, it, that was really exciting to see like all the replays on social media and just all the people talking about it. Um, I didn't obviously see it happen live either, uh, because I was at the, the Blackhawks game, but, um, 
definitely a good thing to get that on the highlight reel. I'm sure it made Sports Center as well. Yeah, I was number one on Sports Center last night. But it's, it's also <laughs> funny that you say you didn't see it live. I didn't see it live either. Someone texted me. I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. I think it was. I was thinking it was working actually. But someone texted me. You're gonna freak out when you see what Z resisted. And I was like, like in my head, I was like imagining like a sick between the legs or like you know what possibly he could have done. And when I watched it, I had to watch it like three times because I had like I was so confused. Yeah. That was like a set play. Like I thought it was the sickest thing. And Z just mm-hmm. after that, Sonny was screaming like Michigan, Michigan. And uh, yeah, he kind of turned it into his own thing, which is which is really cool. But yeah, you know, again, I wish I could have seen like the bench reaction. That's my favorite part about hockey, honestly. When big goals and cool goals are scored like that, the reaction on the bench is what makes it even better. Like, like I can imagine Ryan Getzloff, who's like now what 37, 38 years old, maybe 36. I don't want to, you know, make him older than he is, but he'd probably be on the bench, like, what the fuck did that kid just do? You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just love that. I love that stuff. But yeah, it was it was awesome. And I'll be watching that goal for the rest of my life, probably. <laughs> It'll definitely be a part of Icebreakers when I go to make my episode this week. Uh, another thing that will also probably be a part of Icebreakers will be the Vancouver Canucks coaching change that they had this week. Um, Bruce Boudreau is now the head coach of the Canucks, and they won their first game with him at the helm. And I think that the Canucks are obviously struggling as sitting at the bottom of their division and towards the bottom of the NHL. So that this change was something that was coming. Uh, you know, they fired head coach, Travis green and their GM, Jim Benning, you know, Boudreaux has been, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We know he's such a great coach in the regular season, and this could be a spark that the Canucks need right now. Yeah, I watched them play against LA the other night. They won four nothing. They looked amazing, honestly, just like a rejuvenated Canucks team. And this team has a ton of skill on paper. They should be a good team. They should be a playoff team. So hopefully, he can get them there. He's been a really fun, animated guy to watch on TV on um, the last couple of years. And then also just like behind the bench, his post game interviews, like he responded. I don't know if you saw, but the fans were cheering Bruce. There it is in Vancouver, which like, like Vancouver fans, I feel like are never even like that cheerful um so for them to come up with that i thought was really cool and then his post-game presser was like you know hopefully in in 10 games they're not saying bruce there he goes uh so i thought that was pretty funny and i don't know if you remember when the penguins and capitals did 24 7 like i think the first ever one boudreaux must have dropped the f-bomb like every three words <laughs> he's you know he's a big f-bomb guy which you know i like yeah he is he is he's a little it's crazy that, you know, he's kind of a little bit known for that. Um, but you can, he's just passionate about the game and everyone has their own coaching styles and clearly it works for him. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they play Boston tonight at home. So that'll be a great game too. And, you know, I actually think the Canucks might win that game. That's not on my three best bets, but that could be added there. And then also, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the Flyers got rid of Elaine Vigneault, who was uh, a former yes. coach and the Flyers are now in the doghouse. The Islanders got out of it. I don't know if you want to transition into that a little bit, but you know, what are your yeah. thoughts on Flyers changes? There weren't a team that I was very excited about coming into the season. I know some people were like, oh no, they're going to be a playoff team. They've got all the pieces. They've got, you know, everything they need. So I'm kind of not surprised to see where they're at right now. Maybe I didn't think they'd be quite as bad, but I think the change has been needed in Philly. Definitely needed a new direction, but it's weird because Liam Vigneault, I feel like every time he 
is coaching a new team for the first year. That very first year, he took the Rangers to the final. He had the Flyers as the best team in the league, I think, until COVID happened um, in his first year at the Flyers. And then obviously we all know he went to the Stanley Cup final with the Canucks, but um, he seems to have a lot of success early and then maybe he just dies down. I don't know what it is about him or, you know, maybe sometimes guys just need a new voice in the room and maybe his voice and his systems just get dull. I don't know what it yeah. is, but, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll have another job at some point, I'm sure, but we'll see. Yeah, it kind of goes along with the carousel that we've seen with all the coaching in the NHL. And it just, there really isn't any new faces that we've been seeing over the last couple of years that have made it into the game. Yeah. Maybe Mark Messier, he's been talked about a little bit here and there. Maybe Messier will get his chance. Yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see how that plays out. Um, but you're you're in a different location this week and you have an exciting thing coming up this week. Uh, why don't you talk about that? Yes, I am going to Crypto.com Arena for the very first time. Um, I don't know if it's going to be called that yet, but I saw they took down the Staples Center sign, um, which is super sad because Staples Center is so classic. But yeah, I'm going to the King Stars game Thursday. I've never been to Staples Center, so I'm very excited to check that out. If anyone has any recommendations on like what to do there or around the area, that'd be nice. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just expecting a, a good game between two not very exciting teams, the Kings and the Stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it could be worse. I think that, you know, it'll be cool to be there and everything. I've never been to the Staples. We'll call it the Staples Center. Yeah. I haven't been there either. So hopefully I get to make it out there at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but have fun at the game. And yeah. they can't look any worse than, you know, the Islanders have over the last couple I, it's been a while, but they finally won a game. <laughs> so I didn't get to actually watch it happen, but they beat Ottawa Tuesday night and their first win, it wasn't at home though. So they're still going to be looking for their first home win, but I feel like the Islanders fans are going to be very rejuvenated after that. Yeah, uh, I think so too. And honestly, it, it, it looked really bad in the first period. They were outshot like 10 to three, I think in the first period. And I was like, this team is going to get destroyed if they don't win this game. I, I think people felt that Ottawa was a great opponent last night uh, on the second half of back-to-back young team, not a very good team. So if the Islanders couldn't beat them, then they were pretty much just doomed. But the Islanders do play again at home Thursday night against Barry Trotz's, you know, first team, the Nashville Predators. Um, so I actually saw that Barry hasn't beaten Nashville as the coach of the Islanders yet. So oh. he definitely wants that one under his belt and maybe the first one at UBS under his belt. So the Islanders might be in my three best bets team to look out for on Thursday night at home against Nashville, because this always happens, right? Teams go on losing streaks and then they find some confidence, especially a good team like the Islanders, and then they go on a roll. So I won't be surprised if the Islanders win like, you know, eight out of their next 10 or, or whatever that may be. But I, I expect this team to gain some confidence that they really needed and start doing well. Cause they actually lost, you know, they're on a four game point streak now. Um, they lost those three straight overtime and shootout games, but yeah. I was looking at that and I feel like that has been building to get them this first win finally. And obviously it has. And I feel like I'm with you on that. I could see them beating Nashville. I, yeah. I definitely could. So, um, but there's a couple other good games on, we can look at our uh, three best bets. So what other games do you have in mind for this week? So as far as bets goes, I have Thursday night. I got two. I don't know how confident I am in both but they're both really good matchups and I like the home team in both games. So, you know, obviously the home team is a safer bet usually just because home ice advantage is so important in the NHL, but 
both at six o'clock Thursday. Oh, not six o'clock. I'm looking at the West Coast time. So both at <laughs> both at nine p.m. Eastern. Um, it's Calgary at home against Carolina. Calgary has lost, I think, two or three in a row, and they're a really good team. They've been amazing so far this year, and I think they'll bounce back on home ice against the Carolina Hurricanes, who have also been good. But um, you know, Calgary, I think, is a little bit underrated. And then also at nine Eastern, Edmonton home against Boston. Edmonton coming off a tough loss against Minnesota. I'm sure McDavid's going to be a little fired up too after being suspended for one game and after losing this past game. So I think Edmonton can take Boston at home, especially on the second half of a back-to-back because Boston is playing Vancouver Wednesday night. So they might be a little bit tired. So I'm going Calgary and Edmonton on Thursday. Before I give my third, I want to let you talk about yours in case yours are Thursday as well. I do have one on Thursday. Uh, the Lightning and Maple Leafs are playing. I'm expecting that to be a great game. Um, they're both in their last 10 games. They're 7-2-1 and one for both of them. Um, now, granted, Tampa Bay is on a four-game win streak. So I think I'm kind of leaning towards Tampa, even though they're going to be on the road in this one. So that that's my pick for Thursday. Okay, I like that. But we all know you're not actually going to bet it yet because you're not a better. No. I'll, I'll get you into it. I'm going to get you into it. Yep. Yep. I, I did pretty well last week. So I feel like I, I got to take the jump at some yeah. point. So, um, but my next one is on Friday. So I'll just jump into that. I Penguins guess. and Capitals. Yep. Okay. And, <laughs> I was going to guess that. Yep. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's an ESPN plus game. They've advertised it this week. I mean, Crosby Ovechkin. Um, it's, they're both obviously Ovechkin's been playing really well recently, but Crosby's starting to pick up his game a little bit too in recent, in recent games. So I feel like that's going to be a good, good game. And the last time they met was in like mid November and the caps absolutely blew out the penguins. They looked so bad. I'm leaning towards Pittsburgh on this one. I would take Pittsburgh as well. Um, they always match up pretty well against each other. And I would just mm-hmm. take the home team in that game, just simply because they're home. I think that's really just a toss up. Do you want to give your third? Yeah. So next one's on Saturday, Hurricanes and Oilers in Edmonton. The Canes are on a road trip right now. So I think by the time that'll be their third game of the road trip, I think that Edmonton's going to win this one. Um, I know that they play the Bruins Thursday night and everything. And I I feel like they're just going to keep it rolling. And I I think Edmonton will win, beat beat the Canes um, despite, I, I mean, the Canes have Obviously, looked really great this year, but I think the Oilers will get the win. Yeah. Then again, people at home or people listening to this also have to recognize we're giving these out like three or four days in advance, so we understand a lot can change. True. Just simply, just simply prediction with you know <laughs> not knowing too many details about the actual matchup when it comes down to the game time. But right. Yeah. So just just want to clear that up. Um, <laughs> I would I would pick Edmonton if you gave me Edmonton season schedule. I would pick them eighty two out of eighty two games. Wow. <laughs> so, just so we're clear. But my last one is Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, Colorado home against the Florida Panthers, two of the probably top five teams in the league this year. I think it's going to be a great matchup. And Colorado is starting to find their game again. They had a rocky start, obviously, with McKinnon having COVID and McKinnon being hurt. Um, He's back. And Cal McCarr looks like probably the best defenseman in the NHL right now. He has looked absolutely electric. I think he's on pace to break a, a record for defenseman with goals, I think. Um, I saw that somewhere. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I don't know the actual number, but he's on pace to score at least 30, which is insane as a defenseman. Um, <laughs> I'm taking Colorado at home against Florida on Sunday night. Yeah, Johnny, I think that's a good pick. 
the avalanche have kind of been getting some speed as they come into this end of December and they look a lot better than they have. The injuries are kind of starting to wear a little bit. So I think that you picked a good one for that game. Yeah. And uh, for me, that's going to wrap it up. I think, Um, unless you have any final thoughts. No, that's it for me too. As always, Alexis, thanks for joining me and I will catch up with you next week. I'm going to send it over now to Jerry Rollins. All right. Thanks, Johnny. This week, I'm very happy to welcome on the author of Enforcer to Entrepreneur and a former Detroit Red Wings draft pick, Jerry Rollins. Jerry, what's going on? You're a legend. Legend. <laughs> a legend in my own mind, I guess. No, right? Brandon Convery <laughs> connected us and, and he said, Jerry's got all the stories. Any, any hockey guy you want to talk to, Jerry's the guy to talk to. There's a, yeah, lot, of hype, a lot of hype around you. Yeah, well, I, I hope by the end it's well-earned and that I don't disappoint you. Well, I actually also want to start off by saying, I know we talked on the phone uh, previously a couple weeks ago, but very cool that we both share the same birthday. Uh, not many March 22nders. So uh, I thought that was kind of a fun fact. It is. And uh, I had one dear friend who was one of the best trainers ever in hockey who had the same birthday. Unfortunately, he passed away at an early age of leukemia, Larry Ashley, who was trainer for the Canucks for years and years and years and good friend of mine, but you're the only other one. I just met another young lady who's an entrepreneur in Nashville, who's building a new business and she's got the same date. So there's three of us. Yeah. I know. I told you my mom does too. I was actually born on my mom's 30th birthday. That's great. Yeah. But uh, that's a very nice background. Where are you now? Where are you located? Uh, Nash, or actually Brentwood, Tennessee. So okay. I'm sitting sitting in my office fireplace, looking out at Christmas lights all up and down the street. They take their Christmas lights seriously here. The background almost looks kind of fake. <laughs> you know what? It it's uh, it's a fireplace and then TV and you know it's a nice office, nice place to hang out. You know? Yeah, not a bad setup. So let's kind of dive into hockey a little bit. Are you sure. still? involved in the game i know you kind of you know stepped away for a bit to pursue a different career path but i know you obviously have a strong passion for the game so are you still involved yeah. at all so i'm not i'm a fan i'm, I'm the world's biggest fan always mm-hmm. have been always will be live in a neighborhood that's populated by predators coaches and players mm-hmm. um my good friends here, several of them are former players. You mentioned one, Brandon Convery. I won't mention my neighbor, next door neighbor's name, but he's uh, having a very good year for the Predators. Let's just mm-hmm. say that. I can, I take, a co- I can take a couple publicize. guesses. Yeah. yeah. He's top, top three scoring on the team. So. Yeah. I could definitely uh, you know, narrow that down in my mind. But also, I'm, I'm happy you clarified because I don't know if that was the best choice of words, saying your neighborhood's full of Predators. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That is that is a bad statement. In Nashville, <laughs> they know what that means. In any any other city, I guess it's a bad statement. Yeah, I think people listening would be like, "Hey, you should probably move." <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, you know, you were kind of born into the game. Obviously, you know, your dad's a very popular guy. But for you, you know, I I find your story very interesting, right? Because there's a lot of professional athletes that, you know, maybe let's say a parent kind of drove that passion for them. It might have not necessarily been the athlete's dream themselves, but how difficult was it for you to like kind of step away from that game with, you know, kind of that added pressure? You know, um, getting into it, there was never pressure. My father played at a very high level. And then, you know, as I was growing up, he was coaching as well Mm -hmm. after his playing career. 
but there was never pressure at all to play. I mean, our family, we played every sport. I, a lot of my childhood, the summers, uh, winters, of course, were Toronto, Chicago, New York. Summers were Vancouver area. And then when dad finished playing in, I guess, 1960, we moved to Calgary where he was the first coach of the University of Calgary. But we were all athletic, but we, you know, we weren't pushed any sport. I uh, played, liked other sports much more than hockey. But, you know, growing up, you know, typical Canadian story, I, I didn't know what an indoor rink was growing up in Calgary. We had mm -hmm. one in our backyard. We had the neighborhood rink where we played. And I don't think I played a game inside till I was 12. Wow. That's actually crazy. It's so weird. Like I grew up on Long Island and I don't think I played outside till I was 12, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it you know, it was a, a beautiful idyllic childhood, but no, uh, hockey was never pushed in our family. As a matter of fact, when I was 12, I didn't play hockey for a year cause I got bored with it and, uh, didn't play for a year. And my father nor mother said anything about it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I want to kind of not necessarily go away from hockey, but more towards your book. I actually, yep. you know, I got a chance to not read the whole thing, but I got a chance to look through a couple of chapters. I know you were very kind enough to send it to me through email. Um, but one thing that stuck out to me, I know it was like right in the beginning, but Stan Fischler was a guy who's just a legendary New York hockey guy. I actually had the privilege of meeting him when I was a little kid in Cosby's right outside MSG, which is, you know, it's unfortunate that Cosby still uh, doesn't stand anymore, but um, you know, to have a guy and, and see all the praise he's getting right now. And I know he was just inducted to the hall of fame. And I kind of just want you to talk about your relationship with him because he's such a, you know, New York hockey personality. So I connected with, um, I've been very fortunate in my, in my uh, latter years here to connect with a lot of the people that are connected to the hall of fame that are sports writers and the nicest articles ever written about my father probably a half dozen of them in many of the books that Stan wrote, he mentioned my father. So Stan as a child grew up in New York, of course. Mm -hmm. And my dad, his first professional team was the New York Ra uh, Rovers, who were, you know, the feeder team for the Rangers back in the forties. Uh, so Stan and his father used to go. And so Stan saw my father play when my dad was like 17 years old. Mm -hmm. 16, 17, his first year pro. Um, unfortunately, it didn't last for long. He was having a great year and playing for the Rovers, and they were talking about the Rangers, but he got this disease back in the day, pre-COVID, called rheumatic fever. And back in those days, there was no penicillin. So he was told halfway through his first year of professional hockey that he'd never play again. Oh, wow. And he was sent home back to Saskatchewan where he – didn't play for almost a year and then made uh, the Rangers totally released him, said, you know, you're off our list. You'll never play again. And he kind of fought his way back and four or five years later was playing for the Maple Leafs and won the Vesna and the Stanley Cup. So it was a long, a long <laughs> path to back to New York. And then in his final year pro, he Gump Worsley was a goalie for the Rangers and Al was playing, I think, in Winnipeg, and Gump broke his finger. Al came to replace him, had a really good year, finished the year with the Rangers, and they were going to go with Gump and Al the next year in 1961-62. In but my, uh, back in those days, uh, you know, I think my top 
my dad's top year, he made 15 grand probably in the late fifties, early sixties. And he was making more in business in Calgary than he was in hockey. So they offered him a contract, but it was about half what he was making in business. So he passed and ended his, ended his career. Well, I mean, that's kind of the path you took as well, right? Like you recognize at an early age that, you know, hockey wasn't the way you were going to make your money. And that's, you know, not necessarily the easiest thing to kind of come to reality with. You know, I, I'm everyone has their day. I had my day. It happened to me in college where I was like, you know what? My ceiling is not as high as I had hoped. I got to figure out another way to, to make a living. So, um, you know, I guess for you, just battling that and, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, like when did you get that mindset at first? Well, you know, I, I think I was, uh, I grew up wanting to be in business. So I always had a couple jobs growing up. And I always enjoyed the summer when I was playing either junior or pro. I'd always go get a job. Unlike most of my teammates, I'd go get a job. We were getting paid pretty well, but Mm -hmm. I always liked working and I enjoyed having control of my own destiny. Hockey in the 70s was somewhat unstable with, you know, franchises in both the NHL and the upstart WHA were folding all over the place. I think, mm-hmm. you know, 70% of the WHA teams folded. I just was unfortunate enough to have uh, hitched my cart to the WHA. And I personally folded three teams <laughs> in, in four years. And uh, at, at, at that time, I went, you know, I just don't want to fight this battle anymore. You know, going to get a new contract every summer. I always got a contract. It was always for three years. The contracts just didn't seem to last that long. Mm-hmm. So I decided I wanted more control of my uh, life and went into business. And uh, although unpredictable as well, it's a bit more controllable than pro sports. Having said that, I don't try and talk people out that are passionate. If, if you're passionate about doing anything, you should do it. I just wasn't passionate about playing pro hockey. Yeah. I kind of backed into it, you know. I went away to play junior because actually I got asked to leave school. A junior hockey team was coming through town at the time and they asked me to go away for a 10 game tryout. And in my first game, and you know, this will appeal to the New York fans, my first game trying out for the Flin Flon Bombers, I was playing against the Regina Pats mm-hmm. and this, this, uh, guy came behind the net and I knocked him down and he got up and we got in a fight and on the way to the penalty box, we got in another fight. And, uh, at the end of the period, the other players, I got thrown out. The players came in the dressing room and the coach walked in and said, kid, you got a job. And I found out later that this guy by the name of Clark Gillies was pretty tough. Uh-huh. And my teammates didn't, uh, you know, couldn't figure out why I wasn't afraid to fight him. And, uh, I found out later that, you know, it probably wasn't advisable to get in too many fights with Clark Gillies because uh, the outcome wasn't usually wonderful, you know. No, definitely not. And the Flin Flon Bombers are kind of a legendary uh, franchise still. I had a lot of teammates in college that played there. That's like the Winnipeg area, isn't it? It's six hours north of Winnipeg. It's closer to the Hudson Bay than it is uh-huh. to Winnipeg. But, you know, growing up, which you wouldn't know, players coming out of there like Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach, who were of course great Philadelphia players um, were from there. And I followed them into Flin Flon. It was known for its toughness, tough teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I played on a a junior team where 18 of the 21 players got drafted and played professionally. 
So, I mean, there were some pretty good players there. Well, I also, um, uh, I heard and I, and I read that you were like known as Gretzky's protector. So how'd that come to be? Yeah. Well, in Gretzky's first year in Indianapolis, Gretzky and Messier were both going to Indianapolis training camp in Indianapolis didn't have any enforcers. So they signed me to a three-year contract. I joined the team. I actually, in training camp, thought Messier was a better player than Gretzky. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, Messier just had that freaking grit that I yeah. admired. I mean, Gretzky was another, you know, from another planet, as everybody knows. He was so good and so amazing. But I loved the grit of Messier. He was just a tough kid at 17. He'd take on anybody, anytime, anywhere, and had a lot of skill. Mm-hmm. But uh, the team folded 22 games into the – they signed us all. They, we had an NHL roster there. I mean, the players that played in the NHL after that from that team were amazing. I mean, uh, Blaine Stoughton went on to score 50 goals in the NHL mm-hmm. and also play in New York Rangers. Many of our players there were great. But, you know, the team folded after 25 games and we all disbanded. Do you keep in touch with those guys at all? Because that's a tough thing when, like, your junior team, you know, I know in my day and age, I'm very close still with the guys I played junior with. But, you know, obviously back then you don't have the cell phones or Facebook or, you know, all that kind of stuff to keep up. Yeah. So it's it's really sad when, you know, you kind of lose touch with these people when they get traded or team folds or whatever. But I have to imagine it's even harder back then to just stay in touch with old teammates. You know, back then it was impossible. Yeah. Until, you went, until you went back to your hometown where the hometown players were – Players from Flin Flon always stay in touch. Mm-hmm. So even pre-Facebook, we always stayed in touch. And they have a lot of uh, annual events there, even though they're not in the major junior, they're in the state junior now or provincial junior. They have uh, homecomings every year and everybody goes back that used to play there. But, uh, you know, we are still connected to a lot of former pro players and, you know, some that you're well aware of are like Greshner and Back, yep. who are guys that I keep in touch with, Laidlaw. Those are, you know, some New York legends from more recent years that were, you know, folks I keep in touch with from junior. When's the last time you touched the ice? Uh, you know, it's been pre-COVID. Uh-huh. So I'm, get, I'm getting... Uh, recruited by Brandon to go out and play. There's, there's a lot of former NHLers in town yeah. here because it's a tax-free state <clears throat> in terms of state tax. A lot of people with fairly large uh, financial uh, wherewithal move here because there's no state tax. Mm-hmm. So they move here. And uh, I heard the other day that Brandon ran into um, a couple other former NHLers out golfing and they've got a league here that they play at night. You know, we, we call them beer leagues. But uh, I'm even on the upper, upper uh, uh, age scale of that. But I guess a good thing is I'm still at my playing weight. So, yeah, I was going to say, well, you still got it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, you know, 196 now. I played 195 to 205. So mm-hmm. I stay in good shape, but uh, I haven't skated a lot since pre-COVID, you know. Yeah, you definitely didn't let yourself go, that's for sure. No. No, I do my six miles a day every day. What? Really? Try and, try and stay in shape. Yeah. Running? Uh, running, walking. Yeah. Wow. I couldn't even, I couldn't do that right now and I'm 25. There's no way. You know, I couldn't do it at, at 25 either. I remember tryouts when 
when we used to go and do physical workouts and the mile and two mile used to challenge me, but no, I do my six miles a day, day in, day out. I guess it's Tri-state. a little easier when you're in Nashville too, huh? That nice weather year round. You know, you can get out every day. Yeah. You can get out every day. Yeah. That's so nice. And I, I do want to go back to your, your book a little bit, because obviously, you know, Good. I have no experience writing and publishing a book. So I want to know kind of the process about it and what goes into it and just, you know, finding people to tell stories and, and getting like sources to, you know, make it come to life. Sure. So what actually prompted me is um, several former writers at the Hall of Fame had said, hey, you have an interesting story, although it's not a hockey legacy. I don't have a hockey legacy. I don't pretend to have a hockey legacy other than perhaps my father. I know a lot of players, mm-hmm. but um, they told me that my transference from hockey to business was interesting. Yeah. And then Gretzky's uh, writer uh, contacted me when he wrote 99 stories for the 100th you know, anniversary of hockey. And he included a a chapter or a section of a chapter on my father and a paragraph on me. <laughs> and the author, uh, Kirsten, suggested, she said, you should really think about writing a book. And so I did. I hired a coach because anything you, you need to do, you know, by nature, I'm not a good writer. Mm-hmm. So I'm a good reader, but not a good writer. So I hired a coach, went through it, uh, hired a Canadian publishing firm, all Canadians, and they helped me with it, and we published and released it. And it was well received. It got some uh, good reception amongst the hockey community and the business community. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, writing a book is definitely not an easy, not necessarily transition, but easy uh, process, I guess. You know, right? Like, how many times did you write down things and just delete it and get rid of it and then figure it all out again? Like, it's definitely not something you do, you know, one take or one draft. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, a, a good thing was when I first went into business, I started journaling mm-hmm. and I started doing that. You know, I'm 66 now. So at 25, I started journals, still have them to this day. Wow. And so I started writing things down that I learned and who I learned them from. So by the time it came around to it, I had it all organized. I just needed to put it in the correct fashion. And with some good coaching, I was able to transition it into a legible book and um, people who read it thought it was well put together. Do you recommend young players now to keep journals and just write things down? Cause it's so hard. You know, I I've been there when it's, when times are tough as a player and things aren't going your way and you can't really confide in anybody cause you don't want to complain. You don't want to seem like you're all negative. So how do you kind of let that go? I mean, I know there's like sports therapists and everything like that, but just writing things down can really, you know, just help your mind so much. You know, I think it's good therapy and to go back, um, you know, when you're having tough times to go back and read some things about when you were succeeding and vice versa. I mean, everybody goes through slumps in anything, whether it be in business or work or anything. And if you're not tracking what you're doing, whether it be good or bad, you can't do anything better in my view. So. Mm. I relate to it as goal setting and, you know, I'm still huge into goal setting, even though I'm, you know, a million years old, I write down my goals. I look at them. I review how I'm doing against them. And that measurement has always been uh, an important factor in my life when I wanted, when I want to improve on something. So, you know, I talked earlier about my weight and being disciplined. Well, in my forties, when I was making a bunch of money in business, I wasn't disciplined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I got up to 
probably 239, 240, which for a guy 6'3 is not bad. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't obese, but if you look at any of the scales, it said I was obese. So I just decided I needed to make a change. So I started writing it down, weighing every day, measuring it, looking at what I ate, what I drank, how I exercised and made a change. And I, I just set a goal of losing, you know, like a pound a week and focused on it. And it happened. A little too much Hattie B's, huh? Yeah. I, I you know, I got used to the, uh, I got used to uh, the taste of beer when I was an early teenager trying to gain weight to mm-hmm. keep playing weight on because I was always really lean and uh, continued that habit into business. And it wasn't a good habit to have. No, definitely not. I, I actually, I love asking about the, uh, you know, fun, I, I guess everyone's got like a hockey hangover story. I wonder if you have like a good one, you know, everyone's got you one that, that sticks in their mind. I have the best one in the world. So I was playing, <laughs> I was playing for a guy in, in Toronto. I made the team as a rookie for the Toronto Toros in the World League. So I was playing with guys like Frank Mahovlich and Paul Henderson and Mark Napier and Jim Dory. These are guys that are very good. Mm-hmm. And I made the team as a rookie and I loved having a beer. Well, probably had a couple too many one night and we were leaving for Quebec the next morning at like 8 a.m. and I got a call from the airport. The trainer, who was my roommate down the street, called me and said, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm in bed. Where where are you? And he said, we're getting on the plane. (laughs) So So the coach got on the phone and he said, hey, kid, you missed the plane. So figure out how you're going to get here. We're playing tonight at 7.05 in Quebec Mm -hmm. City. You figure out how you're going to get here. Get here. And you're starting. And you better (laughs) freaking play good. Oh, and by the way, you're fine, too. I'll tell you how much after the game. Oh my God. How bad was it? How much was it? So, well, there's, I guess, good news and bad news. So he told me before the game, how much I was fine. And it was Uh five grand. And that year that was 10% of my salary. Yeah, it's a lot. So I got a 50 grand signing bonus and 75 and a 50 grand salary. And so five grand was a ton of money. And he said, depending on how well you play, we'll up or down. And they had notoriously never done well in Quebec City. Quebec had a tough team, but very talented as well. So let's just say I, I had a Jerry Rollins hat trick. I got three fights. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had an assist. We won the game three goals to one and got thrown out of the game. And he came in after the game and forgave my fine. So wow. I, I guess Bobby was a tough guy from the 50s and 60s, and I guess he liked how I played that night. But I had to pay for my ticket to get over to Quebec City. Yeah, how did you get there? You, you skipped over that part. I, I had to fly over. I, I found a, a, a flight that was going over uh-huh. and made it there and got there barely in time for the game. Those are some of my favorite stories in sports because it happens more often than we think yeah. as fans. Like even, you know, not hockey related, but, you know, I'm kind of a half-assed Mets fan and, uh, you know, I'm not really a big baseball guy, but I root for the Mets. And I remember like two years ago, I forgot who exactly the player was, but they traded for this guy and he had to drive up to City Field and play his like opening night. I didn't show up till the third inning, but he showed up in the third inning and hit a home run. I was like, that's like, that's yeah. the biggest story ever. Like, like that, that is insane. Like all these things, like, you know, you're on the way. I think it happened last week in the NHL. I think uh, 
some team was on their way to play the Devils and had to go through the Holland Tunnel and they got stuck in traffic and they had to push the game back an hour because the whole team was gone. But these things yeah. happen and it's so funny how it all works out. You know, sometimes when you're most fearful and least prepared, you play the best, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And when you, when you know, and I, one thing I will tell you, I've never been late for a meeting, an event or a function since that day. Ever. I read that in your book. Always be two minutes early. <laughs> two minutes early, right? That's the rule. So, so I, I learned uh, how to be early, and now I'm so crazy about being early. I'm too early for everything. So, mm-hmm. I learned you, a lesson. I was gonna say, do you also, you know, look to hire a lot of former athletes, former hockey players? Because I feel like it's kind of a, you know, just a, it's, it's driven in us to have that kind of mental preparation. You know, it's, it's interesting is um, I found in business. So I run an organization now that I founded that's a CEO peer group organization. So very successful CEOs that we meet on a monthly basis in groups like teams and talk about what their challenges are and deal with it. And I just had an inkling that the people that I'd been attracted to that were successful. So we did a poll and of a hundred CEOs a couple of years ago, 98 had been successful high school or college athletes. Mm -hmm. That's one thing they had in common. Two of them weren't. One of them, his father was the Dean of the business school at Michigan. Oh, wow. And he was, and he was not allowed to play sports. Now, when he became my neighbor and a very successful entrepreneur, he ran five miles a day. He was a black belt in karate. So he wasn't allowed to just because culturally he wasn't allowed to. And the other fellow who founded one of the most successful breweries in the country was a musician. So he never had time. He was playing in a, a, a band that made money during high school and college. Mm-hmm. And he toured during college. So he never had a chance. But again, today he's a very good athlete. So I found that those high school one attribute is high school college athletes do transfer well into business, but also people who are good at debate, people who are in bands. Mm -hmm. I find people that were in high school bands often transition well to business because they're used to being on teams and they're used to conforming and being a part of the team. Mm. Let's go back to the brewery. Is it one that I would have heard of? Uh, A brewery called Stone Brewing. So yeah, they're top, 10 i've seen a t-shirt i think yeah and yeah it's uh their most famous i should have worn it and advertised (laughs) most famous is arrogant bastard ale is their most famous beer but yeah they're top 10 in the country Uh and founded in san diego by two young guys who made it top 10 they now have a very amazing woman running the company who's taking them to even greater heights but yeah they're an amazing brewery Wow. Yeah. I, I've definitely seen that trip before. Um, you know, bef- before we do kind of wrap things up, I do want to talk about the current, you know, state of the NHL and where it is today. Uh, I know you said you're a fan still. Who are some of your favorite players to watch and even your favorite team to root for? So, you know, my favorite players to watch are always going to be uh, the physical ones that are skilled. So, you know, Currently, my favorite player player is Roman Yossi. I love mm. the guy. I just mm-hmm. I love his intensity. He never turns it down. He's always going. Um, you know, love McDavid. I mean, the guy is from the Gretzky claw. Yeah, you can't love watching him. I mean, you know, I love his intensity. 
Uh, I'm sure you all saw the play where he stick handled through five players about that was the Rangers. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I love those players. And then, uh, you know, my favorite goaltender just retired Pecorine because we have goalies in our family. Mm-hmm. Rene just retired and they retired his number. And then we have a goalie here, Roman Yossi, or Yossi, or not Yossi, but uh, Soros. Soros, Soros, who's an amazing, I mean, he's picking right off. It's it's amazing to see how well he was mentored and what a good student. And I mean, the guy has the highest save percentage over the last two years of any player, I believe, because he does face a lot of pucks every night, but he's a great player. Yeah, you showed him last night. Yes, he did. And it was, uh, they were on fire last night. Mm-hmm. Do you go to the games? You know what? I don't like crowds. I know that sounds funny. Yeah. A little bit. A little <laughs> <So> bit. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I have 85 inch TVs is I can see the game just like I'm scouting it. Uh-huh. And if I was a scout, I wouldn't go to the games. I'd be yeah. up in the, I'd be watching it on TV. I'll often have two games on at once. I'm a huge fan. I, I watch a game every night, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful game. You know, they, just like my father would say of my generation, I mean, my generation was kind of the goon generation, the seventies. Mm-hmm. But you, you guys know, the, hate the, that word. I thought, right. The bullies, you know, the yeah. broad street bullies, but uh, you know, the, the guys from the fifties were definitely tougher than the guys in the seventies. And so us guys in the seventies think they're all sissies now. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if, if anybody hits anybody now, uh, it's uh, the game has changed. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways for the better, I love the speed of the game now, but I will say that there's too many liberties being taken these days. Uh, hitting seems to be, you know, you don't see anybody like Scott Stevens or Barry Beck anymore mm. taking somebody out it because if they did, you know, it'd be a five game suspension for more. hitting someone. More. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely so, more. so, you know, I do think they've gone a bit too far, but, you know, every generation says that. I'm sure yeah. in 20 years, you know, the current generation will say that they were the tough ones and all the current ones are sissies. But, uh, you know, that's just an age thing. Well, they probably won't even be hitting in 20 years. Probably take it out of the you game. You know what? There will probably be no hitting. But, you know, it's great for these wonderful skilled players. But, yeah. you know, Gretzky didn't get hurt a lot. And nobody was taking liberties with him because yeah. of a guy named Semenko or McSorley, right? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And, and, yeah. Same and thing with the Rangers had, now with Ryan Reeves. No one's running at Fox. You know what? He would be a tough guy in any era. Mm-hmm. He'd, be t- he'd be top 20 in any era. So yeah, no, I completely that, agree. That's a big argument in today's age too. Yeah, I know. That, that guy can still lay him down and – you know, he doesn't embarrass himself out there. I mean, he's, no. he can, he can, he can get around and every once in a while he makes a good play and he's a good check. I mean, he it's clean and good checker and he just keeps, keeps uh, the Rangers in the game now, I would yeah. say. You yeah, know? no, hundred percent. And uh, Jerry, I really want to thank you, but before I let you go, I want you to, you know, take a minute to plug anything you want in your book, you know, where can people find you? Stuff like that. You know, uh, my book can be found on Amazon or they can go to my website, jerryrollins.com. That's J-E-R-Y-R-O-L-L-I-N-S.com. And anytime anybody needs anything, believe it or not, us old guys still get hockey cards in the mail. 
No way. We get them every month in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. People so still funny. collect them. Yeah. That's but awesome. thanks so much. I really enjoyed our time. Yeah. We'll have to do it again down the road. Um, you know, I always try to have people come back on. It's always nice to get people on a second time, get more comfortable and, and have a little more fun, but maybe next time we would have a beer. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. You too, Jerry. Thank you. Take care. I want to thank Jerry Rollins once again for joining the show, as well as my good friend, Alexis Downey. It was very nice chatting with Jerry and always nice to chat with Alexis. As far as the Rangers' schedule goes for the rest of the week, they are on the road in Buffalo tomorrow night, then back home on Sunday against Nashville, then on the 14th and 15th on Tuesday and Wednesday, they're in Colorado Tuesday, in Nashville on Wednesday, and then back home Friday against the Vegas Golden Knights. So a lot of action coming up this week. If anyone ever has any questions or topics for me to talk about, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or on Twitter. It's going to be a very exciting week, especially playing Colorado again. That'll be a good game. So stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming. Thank you, as always, for listening, and let's go Rangers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.